It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. I'm Corey Labounty, joined by Michael Brauner here on the final drive. You can reach us at 251 694 1055. And as we wind down March, of course, today being March 29th, 31 days in the month of March, but they definitely are all exciting because you've had conference championships. You've had the wonderful March Madness tournament to where many Cinderella's were invited to the dance and decided to stick a, stick around longer than most others. And last night, you had a big-time win for an in-state school. The UAB Blazers were able to find a way to continue to stay alive out in Vegas. Of course, the NIT semifinals are what I am talking about. And the UAB Blazers beat Utah Valley. That's a team that I had never heard of until probably the round before the Elite Eight in the NIT, had no clue that Mark Madsen, the former Los Angeles Laker championship player in 2001, is their head coach or was their head coach because what happens when you have a lot of success? Well, the bigger guys pick you away, and Mark Madsen now going to be the coach at California, but Last night, his team didn't have enough, Bronner, for the UAB Blazers and Conference USA. Wow. Yeah, we talked about that yesterday. Could it be an all-CUSA uh, clean sweep? I, I, I can't even remember who. Oh, Charlotte won the uh, won the CBI. CBI. Uh, and now UAB is going to be taking on North Texas, guaranteeing the, uh, the CUSA is going to win the NIT. Don't think FAU is going to get it done, but I've been I've been wrong before, so maybe I'll be wrong on that. But no, it makes sense that you've never heard of Utah Valley. They, they've never made an NCAA tournament. They did have a good season this year. They won the regular season in the uh, in the WAC conference, uh, but obviously didn't win the conference tournament. Otherwise, they would have been in the NCAA tournament. And yeah, uh, UAB goes and handles their business. It, it took overtime. Uh, and they didn't cover, but it is what it is there. Uh, and so UAB moving on to the championship of the NIT. But it, it's a historic season for Andy Kennedy and the UAB Blazers. And now what happens is if you're Conference USA's commissioner, I know you have to be extremely yeah. happy from a basketball standpoint because the revenue that's being generated for your conference is second to none. But if you were to tell me that the UAB Blazers would have an opportunity at 29 and 9 to play another member of Conference USA North Texas who is 30 and 7 mm. I, I I would probably say no nah, that's that the odds of that happening are slim to none yeah but 
weirder things have happened to where now you are having two conference opponents play one of Another for the NIT championship. Well, it's funny because uh, I, I've been having this debate a lot with friends during the NCAA tournament about you know rooting for your conference in, in March and rooting for your rivals. And I think on a larger scale when it comes to like the SEC, because I, I got a friend from home uh, from, from New Jersey. He's actually, actually my friend, I'll expose him, my friend I do the Throw It Deep podcast with Owen, uh, who you can hear new episode dropped, by the way, on, on a Wednesday afternoon. Go ahead and check that out on WNSP Now. We talked a lot of Lamar stuff as well, got into the draft stuff, but anyway, sidetracked there. But anyway, Owen is a big Seton Hall fan, and Seton Hall obviously didn't make the tournament this year and first year with uh, new head coach Shaheen Holloway. And basically, you know, he was he was he was getting on me about the fact, oh, the Big East is doing so well in the conf- in in the NCAA tournament, and Alabama's eliminated. And so, you know, we're we're friends, so he roots against my teams, and I root to get I root against his teams. But I just think it's weird. the Big East is not this small conference. I think it's weird at a, on a larger scale like that. My initial point to root for your rivals to do well in the postseason, like. I wouldn't root for Arkansas. I wouldn't root for Tennessee. I, I actually, Kentucky basketball is low on the list of hatred for SEC teams, believe it or not. Kentu- uh, Arkansas and Tennessee are way higher. So I think when uh, when you're talking about like large scale conferences, like you're already an established, you know, power of a conference, it doesn't really make sense. But when you're talking about the CUSA, I mean, you love it if you're a bottom tier CUSA team. That oh, look like look how strong our basketball conference is right now. So I think when you're a mid major and and uh, it actually makes sense to root for the conference, quote unquote. Well, here it is: UAB going one and two on the season against FAU, who of course is in the Final mm. Four, and one of those losses came in the Conference USA Championship, would cost, which cost them an opportunity what's, what's to play the in the big dance. The conference the, championship. I, I would have to look to see what that – I, I want to say it was maybe a 17 or 18-point win so for it, FAU. It was a blowout. It was. And then with North Texas, UAB was 1-2 and two against North Texas. So imagine playing the same opponent four times in one year, but having an opportunity in this game – in the NIT finals, which are no longer located at the Mecca, Madison Square Garden of basketball. They moved it out to Vegas, which is refreshing for basketball. But if you're Jelly Walker, being from New York, you would love to go back home and put a a show on in front of your your hometown fans. But to make it to this point in time, UAB is going to play in North Texas and have a chance to be 2-2 and on the season and take home the state of Alabama's first ever NIT championship. Yeah, you you were right. It was a 22-point win in the championship. So, yeah, Florida Atlantic. Actually, they did have a little bit of a scare against Middle Tennessee, a uh, three-point win in the semifinals of uh, the conference tournament there. But, yeah, you know, UAB took down North Texas 76-69 to in the semifinals of the CUSA conference tournament. But, like you said, they lost to him twice in the regular season, so we'll see if uh, we'll see if they can get their lick back and even even things up a little bit. And you know, I I mean, at the end of the day, you go you you this is, the NIT is a big deal to these teams. It's not like you're a you're a big team uh, from a big conference who's disappointed you didn't make the NCAA tournament. I understand UAB was in the NCAA tournament last season, but you know that being said, you win the NIT that, that that's a pretty big deal for for a program like UAB. It really is, and a big deal on today's show, of course, we'll have Andrew Parrish from the Crimson Crossover 
the Alabama Crimson Tide really involved in the transfer portal. We'll also have Danny Smith, who's an assistant coach at Mobile Christian, really reminiscing about his time with the late Marty McDowell at Shaw High School when they were walking the halls together. Hopefully we'll have David Morris on as well, and we'll have an opportunity to talk some of the quarterback play that's going on, and Mallory Radwich is also going to join us from Coastal Alabama South. And all great guests today, but again, love to hear from you, 251-694-1055. Mike, also wanted to ask you if you had an opportunity to watch any of the McDonald's all-american game last night i checked it out a little bit it was on it's funny i the uh past couple nights i've just had espn on once the once march madness takes a break for a couple of days you know espn's on in the background but certainly more of a passive watch but i did see the mcdonald's game was on last night i knew kentucky has like six commits that were playing in that game so i i tried to check out a little bit of dj wagner looked like he was doing some things i knew Bronny was playing last night so that was a big deal uh it (laughs) one of the first things i saw was uh you know, when I when I actually like turned on the volume and paid attention for for a few seconds, they uh, they said that this Duke commit and Bronny, you know, made a TikTok or something the day before, and I was like, all right, you know, I I I'll I'll go back to passively paying attention to this. I don't I don't really care all that much about this Duke commit and Bronny collaborating for a TikTok, but. No, I mean, it's uh, it's obviously the premier showing of high school basketball and all these kids are going to really good, really good programs. So, you you, uh, you know, it's it's an event every year. Well, DJ Wagner is one of the commitments to John Calipari in Kentucky. And, and the biggest question I have is, can someone live up to their parents' legacy? And will Bronny be able to live up to LeBron James hype because what was amazing to me was of course with NIL being established now I, I the, saw that list today the, yeah. the 7.1 million dollars that Bronny James is worth from an NIL standpoint to me that's that's mind-boggling for a, a high school athlete who has not even stepped on the campus yet is he piggybacking off of his dad's last name, or is he that great of a high school basketball player? Because last night he held wow. his own. Well, I mean, of course there's a degree of, you know, he's piggybacking off off his dad's name. I, I mean, that's that's why he's so famous. Like, mo- I think a lot of people know who Bronny James is. Like, me and you are sitting here talking about Bronny James, where, and I'm not saying he's not a great player, prospect or a great high school basketball i'm sure he is he's like a four-star guy i think he's i don't think he's committed yet but uh he's gonna end up going to a a, a major pac-12 program or something like that so you know it's not to say oh you know no one would know who Bronny james is if he weren't Bronny james but i mean that being said yes i mean we're sitting here in mobile alabama talking about a kid who plays high school basketball in california and like yeah i mean of course the reality is that yeah he's worth a lot of money nil wise and we're talking about him because he's lebron james's son i mean like there's of course there's an element of that but but lebron james was labeled as the chosen one coming out of high school you're on the cover of sports illustrated and lebron james has lived up to every single ounce of hype that was given to him from the time he came out of high school until his current situation with the Lakers and to see his son and of course 
DJ Wagner's father and his grandfather, he becomes a third-generation McDonald All-American, the first ever yeah. in the history of the McDonald's All-American game. It's so hard to live up to the hype of a parent, and, and I think that Bronny James is going to be hard to do. It's. I mean, it's impossible. It's not really even a, a fair thing to ask to for say. So, oh, can Bronny live up to LeBron? I mean, it's it's not even really a fair question to ask. Of, of course he can't. Uh, I like. I I think LeBron coming out of high school. Yeah, I mean, he was the quote unquote. Tra- I mean, LeBron coming out of high school is a lot better than Bronny coming out of high school. I don't. I think you'd be crazy to disagree with that. And you know, as much as I'm not a LeBron fan, yes, he he lived up to every ounce of hype coming out of high school that there was he didn't go to he didn't go to college he was drafted number one and and he's become arguably the greatest player of all time for my money second but you know have whatever opinion you want on that he lived up to every ounce of hype that uh that he was given so I mean to say can Bronny live up to his father's name like of course he can't I mean Bronny James is not going to go down as like this top five player in NBA history but listen if he makes the NBA and he's like a solid contributor, I I think that is astoundingly amazing in itself. Well, 15 points, five of eight shooting in the McDonald's All-American game. He, he played exceptionally well. And, of course, followed him at Grand Canyon his entire career, Bronny James, that is. And to have your dad considered the GOAT, the, the expectations are second to none. Are, are those crushing expectations, though, Michael? That that's yeah, I, that's where you have to ask yourself. You know, is that too much pressure for one to live up to? Because whether he's a one and done, whatever college Bronny decides to go to, I don't think. think he's a one and done either. Uh, he's what 16, 17, right? Seven, uh, wh- 17 wh- years whatever old. Whatever age he is, like yeah, of course. I mean, it is not. F- I don't think anyone in their right mind is sitting here saying. You know, Bronny better be like this legendary player who who's going to be a, a number one overall draft pick or even a lottery pick. It's like I think people w- want to see Bronny do well and 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 make the NBA, but I don't think anyone expects Bronny to come into whatever I I don't know. I've seen like Arizona, Oregon, UCLA. I I don't. I to my knowledge, he's uncommitted. I don't I don't follow uh, Bronny super closely. But Memphis, Ohio State. Southern California okay. or Oregon so or his top there. four. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I think it's not fair at all to sit here and say, I mean, you just can't you can't put that on him. He's, he's a 17-year-old kid who's like a pretty good basketball player for, for a high school prospect and is going to be a decent college basketball player, and if everything goes well in college, hopefully he'll make the NBA. I, I think that's what you have to look at Bronny James at. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty along with Michael Brauner taking your telephone calls at 251-694-1055. And in our next segment, we'll have Sonny Smith joining us to talk about what makes VCU such a hotbed for college basketball coaches. And we'll talk with the former VCU head coach and former Auburn coach as well, Sonny Smith, and get his thoughts on the Final Four and the smaller schools that have entered the Final Four dance. But as we were going to break, Mike, I would talk. I was talking about Hugh Freeze and Auburn, and anytime that you can say bulletin board material, 
it's always great for Alabama fans or Auburn fans. And I wouldn't I wouldn't expect to hear anything else from Auburn's head coach when asked by Sports Illustrated about his relationship with Nick Saban. He said, we're friends, but I want to beat the crap out of him. And sometimes when you say things like that, naturally so, it does get your fan base riled up. But to actually produce those results, that's that's going to be yet to be determined. Well, he's got an iron ball at home in year one, so picked, uh, picked a good year to come to Auburn, <laughs> at least. I mean... I, I I think they have a pretty good chance to beat Alabama this year. I mean, we're sitting here at, at the end of March. It's hard to say now, uh, but didn't I wouldn't have wouldn't have thought uh, year one Brian Harson's team had much of a chance, and they really should have won that game. So uh, I I understand why Hugh Freeze is going to say that, and I'm sure he certainly feels that way. I I don't know what the relationship between Nick Saban and, and Hugh Freeze is. Obviously, Freeze has spent a lot of time in the SEC and and beaten Nick Saban already a couple of times. Uh, I'd, I'd be curious to know how much they speak. And, you know, Nick Saban doesn't strike me as a guy who's, you know, chummy with all of his peers in the SEC, but uh, I'm, I'm sure they speak. Well, I, I tell you, not only from a speaking standpoint, of, I, of course they're going to speak and converse at any type of meeting or convention that they are at that concerns SEC coaches. But when you have the backing of – former Auburn coaches such as Gus Malzahn when in his Sports Illustrated interview he was talking about he thinks that Auburn and Hugh is a really good match and that Auburn is an unbelievable place and I think it is an unbelievable place but it also paid him unbelievable buyout money and that's what some sometimes I mean is he going to say anything negative about Auburn of course not but endorsing Hugh Freeze I think that that's that's an interesting topic in and of itself well it's interesting because when Freeze was hired kind of saw the saw it thrown out a lot it's like well just throw out Brian Harson because obviously that was a disaster but let's 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 just say they went Gus to to Hugh it's like you got rid of Gus Malzahn because winning nine games and beating Bama once in a while wasn't good enough. Is, is Hugh Freeze gonna gonna do that much more than that? I I don't know. I mean, if you think he is, more power to you. I just I I, I don't know if Hugh Freeze. I, I I think obviously he's a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous improvement from what they're just coming off of. But that is the lowest of low bars. So. We'll see what happens, but I, I mean, nine, ten wins a year and, and beating Alabama once in a while. I, I, I think you're going to get from you freeze about what you got from Gus Malzahn. Maybe, maybe more, maybe, maybe more, but that much more. I don't know. Uh, five all time meetings. And of course, Saban is, is leading three to two. But I, I, I think that when you start looking at those wins that Ole Miss had over I'll, an I'll Alabama what, team. Three, three to two, by the way. And if Gus had coached the the year, first year in Brian Harson, w- would have been three and three because Gus Malzahn wins that Iron Bowl 100%. Uh, and probably they win if Bo Nix wasn't hurt. But just, just putting that out there. Well, I, I think that it's very impressive the wins that Hugh Freeze was able to orchestrate at Ole Miss over Alabama. And 
you know, there, there's a lot of controversy that hangs over whether, you know, you had bought players to play on that team or not. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Ole Miss was better than Alabama on the football field for yeah. two consecutive seasons. And one of those seasons just whooped them up and down the field and almost hit them with a blitzkrieg. And Alabama didn't know what hit them. At this point, uh, I think to say Hugh Freeze beat Alabama at, at Ole Miss because he cheated, I, I just think that's, one, a very weak uh, excuse. One, it's legal now, so who cares? And two, <laughs> it, it's not like everyone else wasn't doing it too. Hugh Freeze just happened to get caught at Ole Miss and, prob- and was doing some other things that were also egregious uh, in terms of his personal life that we don't need to get into right this second. But uh, th- that being said, I, I just think, you're like, oh, you're like, he's not that great of a coach. He was cheating at Ole Miss. Yeah, so was everyone else. So uh, Hugh Freeze just happened to get caught. Uh, Hugh Fre- you know, he's obviously a phenomenal coach and has proven to be capable of beating Alabama. So so we'll see what he can do. I, hey, I, I got attacked a lot on this show when I said, why would Lane Kiffin leave Ole Miss for Auburn? Because apparently Auburn's so much better of a job than Ole Miss. I guess we're about to find out now, aren't we? Well, that's the matchup that a lot of people, again, the Iron Bowl across the country has a lot of intrigue. And with Alabama traveling to Auburn to play the Iron Bowl, it, it's always a tough place to play, hard place to win. And we'll see if he can get that to three and three coming up. But interesting comments by Hugh Freeze and the relationship between Nick Saban and Hugh Freeze, I do think is a good one. But the competitive nature of it, I don't expect him to say anything different. When we come back here on the final drive, we'll have Sonny Smith, the former head coach of the Auburn Tigers, also the former head coach at VCU. We'll talk with him about why VCU is such a hotbed for basketball coaches and is it still considered a Cinderella when it enters the tournament? The final drive with Corey LeBounty and Michael Bronner coming right back at you. This is Richie Riley, the head men's basketball coach of South Alabama. There's nothing better than listening to WNSP Sports Radio, 105.5 FM. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Michael Brauner behind the glass producing the show, taking your telephone calls at 251-694-1055. And I'm Corey LeBounty bringing in former Auburn and former VCU head coach Sonny Smith joining us this afternoon on the final drive. Coach Smith, I hope all is well, and it's always good to talk with you. Always good to talk to you guys, especially a great basketball time like this. Without question, Coach, and I tell you what, my Final Four bracket has officially been ripped up and thrown in the trash can because I did have Alabama playing Gonzaga for the national championship and all four of my Final Four teams. Some didn't even make it to the Elite Eight because I had San Diego Mm -hmm. State, FAU, UConn, and Miami in the final four, Coach. Did you fill out a bracket in your March yeah, Madness competition? I'm like you. I, uh, I had Alabama right up near the top, and, and, or at the top, actually. What I said was that Alabama was the best team that I saw this year. You know, I actually saw them play, and I thought they were as good or better than anybody. And I, I was thinking, somebody asked me, well, what's going to get them beat? 
And I, I, I said, I don't even think their depth will get them beat. I think their depth is good enough to carry them to it. But uh, I also said that anybody can get beat once you get this far. And uh, I, was, I was actually surprised that they did get beat. But uh, the team's in it. I'm, I have a hard time picking the winner in that situation. Coach, you have some smaller schools in this situation of becoming a Cinderella, San Diego State. What a great job they've done, of course, with the huge upset over the Alabama Crimson Tide. But maybe an even bigger story is FAU and Conference USA, foe and opponent of UAB in North Texas. So far, Conference USA, 17-1 in the postseason tournaments. That's unheard of, yeah. especially with FAU making it to the Final Four. I remember when I went to VCU, we were in the same league with FAU, but we never would play them at one time because they had so many teams in it. And I was thinking to myself, well, this team will never be one of the better teams. How wrong I have been. They have done a terrific job there, tremendous job. And uh, I, don't think, I don't think it would shock anybody. Uh, if, if if they did win it all, you know, it, 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 I don't think anybody. I don't think he was on on many of the teams the lineup that they put out there and picked. Yeah, I know it wasn't on mine, Coach. I, I wanted to talk to you about the reason VCU is such a catapulting job. I know you were the head coach of the Rams when they were in the Sun Belt Conference, the Metro, and joined the CAA from 89 to 98. But when you start looking at the coaches who have taken power five jobs, whether it's Anthony Grant, Shaka Smart, Will Wade, Jeff Capel, and today Mike Rhodes looks like he is going to go to Penn State. What makes Virginia Commonwealth University such a hotbed for coaches to eventually take power five jobs all they needed to do we didn't have when i was there we didn't have an arena we did not have a place to play and i used to tell the athletic director because i wasn't going to coach much longer i did 10 years like as limit as a head coach i told him as quick as you get an arena this job is going to turn into one of the better jobs in the country because you're right in the heart of where basketball players are all over the place. D.C., uh, Newport News, Virginia, North Carolina, you know, all those places that had so many great players. I said, this place is going to be, because it's going to be all basketball, you're going to have an arena that's going to seat 13, 14,000. You're going to be able to fill it. And, and what's happened is coaches have used that as a, as a place to get a better job but right now you can be the coach at vcu and you got one of the better jobs you don't have to leave and go some other place coach i know vcu didn't join the atlantic 10 until uh 2012 about 14 years after you left but i'm just wondering if, if you have any thoughts on this the atlantic 10 kind of really even as recently as five years ago so it was used to be like a three or four bid league in, in really good years and and it's gotten to the point where you have to win that you have to win the conference tournament to to get into the ncaa tournament at that time I, i'm just yeah. wondering why, why why do you think that's the case i think when you put a conference together that doesn't have football as, as their number one priority and you got a lot of teams in there that don't you know, then basketball becomes the number one, and you're in a league that's getting a lot of recognition. You're getting better press, and you're you're reaching out into 
areas that you've never been before with other teams, new teams join, and it becomes a it becomes a conference. You look to see the scores every day and how did they do? Uh, how's my team that I've decided to now uh, pull for? And, and, and I think it all changed. And and it, the way things changed at VCU is they were playing in a downtown arena that was took, taken by ice hockey and everything else. And I knew the minute that they got a arena that they could call their own, it was going to change. You get these teams that are uh, come, uh, up and comers in basketball, they get a new arena and everything changes. And that's what happened to VCU. Well, Coach Sonny Smith, he's the former head coach at VCU and, of course, of the Auburn Tigers. And when you start looking again at March Madness, out of the games that are coming to us, San Diego State taking on FAU, Miami taking on UConn, which one of those games are you really looking forward to that you you can sit back and say, I think this one's going down to the last possession of the game? Well, I, I, I think I'd like to watch a, a, FAU play, but I'm going to tell you, I think I think Connecticut is a team that everybody's got to watch out for. I, 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 I'm not talking about who I'd want to see play, but I think the one that's going, of the four, that any of the four could win, of course. But I think Connecticut is a team that's built to win it all. I really do. I, I agree with you there. UConn, their m margin of victory has been plus 15 in the NCAA tournament, and it's just been a great run for Coach Early. Of course, they started off hot at 14-0, and and sometimes they say it's not how you start, it's how you finish, Coach Smith. And we'll see if, if UConn can finish the deal against Miami, but Jim Laranega, and well, what he's been able to accomplish, making it to two Final Fours with different teams. And the time yeah. in between it from 06 up until now, 23, that's amazing in and of itself. Well, I think if you're a betting man, there are going to be more people betting on uh, betting on uh, Miami than they do UConn. But I, I'm, I'm thinking UConn might be the one that wins. I'm, I'm I, I've known Jim Larnagan. I play. I coached against him forever, and and we were coaches in in the Virginia, assistant coaches at the same time many years ago. And I know how good he is, and I know what he can do. It wouldn't surprise me at all if he wins it all. Coach, after Alabama lost on Friday, I think there's been a lot of discussion around here as to. Obviously, it was a huge disappointment for a lot of people, but I think there's been a lot of discussion around here as to. If the NCAA tournament is a great evaluator of the best team in the country, I mean, just look at the Final Four, for example. Obviously, Alabama had a historically spectacular season, winning 31 games and a double SEC title. I'm just curious how you evaluate the best team in the country, if not with the NCAA tournament. Well, when I was looking at things before the tournaments, I thought – of all the teams I got to watch on television, some I did, we did, personally, did the games when I was doing uh, Auburn games. I thought that Alabama had the best team overall of anybody I've seen. And I thought Alabama would win it all. But it didn't turn out that way. But And the other thing, I thought the second best team that I saw play and in person was Houston. And I thought that was—I thought that was another team that's going to win. Never did I think it, uh, San Diego. Never did I think UConn would be there. And I—I I, I wondered. I knew that Jim Laranega's teams 
are going to be well coached, and he's in an area where it's it's easy to recruit to. And I knew that he'd be a factor. And I say that, and that school that I mentioned might win it all. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> that I didn't mention, I mean, it might win it all. So I don't know. It's uh, basketball. It, it, it's it, the three-point shot has changed everything, you know. You you can you can win a game that you have no reason to win by making a bunch of threes in one night, you know. And and the other thing is deciding once you go into these games, you got officials that are officiating these games, and they're trying to they're trying to move up too. And sometimes players just the best players in the game get in serious foul trouble because officials are, sometimes are calling different than they did during the regular season. If that makes any sense. But I, I notice that if you're trying, if you want to be evaluated as as a, as an assistant, you cannot be letting calls go or missing things. And then sometimes because of that, you get uh, you overdo it. And so I think a lot of times games are won because of not not being able to adjust to officiating. Well, you definitely have to adjust to officiating in the game. And somebody who definitely disagreed with officials a time or two was. Charles Barkley and Charles Barkley, oh, your yeah. former player, was was on 60 Minutes this past week. And one thing that you have to respect about Charles, Coach, I, I want to know how many times you ever had to run him out of practice because of what he had to say. Because he's not one to shy away from his own opinion about how things should be no. going. No, I tell you, every coach that ever coached a game of basketball needs to be able to coach a superstar one time. Maybe maybe more than one. Some guys coach him all the time. But it's a different type of coaching. You have to coach him different, and you have to understand that. Well, uh, when I coached Barkley, I didn't understand that. I coached him like I did the other guy. You know how they, you, you say you treat them all the same, work them all the same? Uh, superstars... I noticed in the pros, I have, I, Dale Harris, who was coaching the pros forever, was best man in my wedding, mine and his. We've been friends forever. I watched him coach, and I, I saw the adjustments that he had to make because he had so many super players with the Lakers and with Milwaukee and with Houston. And I, I, I will say today, if I were to speak at a clinic, and I was speaking, I'd say, you've got to coach super players different than you do the rest of the players. And that's the one thing about Charles Barkley that I wish that I had done. Well, I treated him partially, and I, I, I didn't need to do that. But he, he performed better when you didn't. And that's one of the things that you have to respect and learn about Charles Barkley. Because have you seen any change? Because Charles Barkley has said many times that – Spotlight can sometimes change and money can change people. Have you seen a difference in between the Charles that you coached and the Charles Barkley that everyone sees on TNT now? Well, the one thing that he does do is is he picks and chooses the things that he's going to support. And when he gets on your side, he goes, it's because he has thought it all out and he knows exactly why he's doing this and, and, and what he's saying. And he's uh, uh, he's one of the smartest people that ever played for me, for sure. And, and it shows every time. It, I don't see him making many mistakes unless he's doing it on purpose. Well, Charles Barkley was 
one of the best players ever to come through Auburn, if not the best player to come to Auburn. That's why he has that statue outside of the stadium, Coach. And when it comes down to it, you you said you felt that UConn would probably win the national championship and cut down the nets because they're the best team out of these four. And I ultimately, I, I have UConn in my readjusted brackets having them winning the championship as well. And Coach, I, I just want to thank you for your time and everything that you've given back to not only Auburn but to the basketball fan. And thank you for taking our call here on the final drive and giving us a little insight as to why VCU is such a hotbed for not only basketball but for college coaches. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Sonny Smith, you can see his name in the rafters at Auburn and Neville Arena a Hall of Famer in and of himself, and can't thank him enough for giving his insights on March Madness. You're listening to The Final Drive here on WNSP 105.5. Hey, this is former Mobile TV sportscaster Eric Clemens, and when I'm in town, I listen to 105.5 FM Sports Radio, WNSP. Drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Michael Brauner taking your telephone calls at 251-694-1055. And, Michael, one of the things that Mobile and Baldwin County have plenty of, it's the top-notch talent that fill the Alabamas and the Auburns and the Notre Dames and any other Power 5 school that you want to pick along with now filling up South Alabama's roster, UAB's roster, Missouri's roster. You can look across the country, Ole Miss, doesn't matter. Pick a school, and you'll see someone from the Mobile, Baldwin County area on that roster. And I know that you had an opportunity to talk about one of the newest five-star athletes from Mobile, Alabama, and Sarah Land High School. Yeah, so on three came out with I guess they call it their on three hundred uh, for twenty twenty five their their latest. Re- I mean, recruit recruiting's odd because I mean their their lists for twenty twenty five that have been out for a year or I don't really have a great understanding of how it works, but I guess you know they get updated uh, pretty pretty regularly. So in the latest uh, on three hundred. Sarah Land and Mobile in Baldwin County's own Ryan Williams. He's the third overall recruit in the country. He's one of five, one of only five, five stars in the country for the class of 2025. Third overall recruit. I mean, man, if you are in this area, which if you're listening to the show right now, you probably are, and and have a chance and haven't seen this kid play, get out to Sarah Land High School this season. And uh, and and go watch this kid. I I I truly do mean this when I say it. Relative to, like, uh, yeah, he's he's a high school kid. Like I've seen Kyrie Irving play in high school when I was in New Jersey. This is the most dominant athlete I've ever seen. It, it, it's unbelievable how special Ryan Williams is of a talent. And and you know we've had him on the show before. He's he's an awesome young man too. Uh, like he's just a great kid overall. He's humble, committed to Alabama. We love that. We hope we keep him, but we understand if we don't. But I mean, man, just what what a what a kid, 
Well, you start looking at him being a multiple sport athlete, too. And that's one of the things that here with him running outdoor track and field for the Saraland Spartans, whether it's the 100 or 200, I'll have to call Coach Deerman to see what all events he participates in. But I know UMS Wright just had their competition last week and just absolute flyer as far as even at Saraland when they've had their own competition and there was a picture taken by Helen Joyce, the encouragement that he and Morgan Davis, which is the best female track and field athlete in the state of Alabama, she has a chance to come away with 10 state titles by the time she graduates and leaves Saraland at the end of the year. Now Ryan running track, he shows his blazing speed in front of everybody without pads on. Kid runs a 4-4-1-40. He just turned 16, what was it, two months ago, and he runs a 4-4-1-40. It's, it's unbelievable. I mean, there, there, there is no ceiling. There, there is no ceiling for this young man at all and what he's able to do and stay healthy. And when you start thinking about it, you, you wish he was a senior. You, you wish he was a junior. That's not the case. The, you, you have to sit and try to hold him down for another two years. And that's what's scary for Sarah Land Spartan opponents. If you're in 6A, I mean, good luck. How, how do you, I mean, Mountain Brook I, I gave it their best shot in terms of stopping him at, at Jordan Hare in the state championship. Hey, what? They weren't even close. You, you, you physically cannot. You can game plan for them. You can. I mean, Saraland has other really good players too. So if you throw ten guys on them, you got other guys that are going to beat you. You just, even if you game plan for them, it doesn't matter. Yeah, he, he is that good. He, he is that dude. And, and I think Theodore did one of the better jobs all season long on him. But you still game plan to stop him, and he still makes spectacular plays time and time again. And that's what a five star will do for you. Not a Bama bump, but a true five-star athlete right here on the Gulf Coast in Ryan Williams. You're listening to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Andrew Parrish joining us next, making his debut here on the final drive. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5 and making his debut here on WNSP is Andrew Parrish from the Crimson Crossover and wanted to get Andrew on to talk about that Alabama transfer portal and what that roster will look like moving forward for the Alabama Crimson Tide basketball program and it started in the right direction yesterday is news of a young local Montgomery product that we had an opportunity to watch a lot of at Carver Montgomery. Jaquan Walton leaves Wichita State 
and is now joining the Crimson Tide. And Jaquan is one of those players that averages close to 14 points and six rebounds and definitely can dish the basketball with great vision as well. Andrew, tell us about Jaquan Walton. Yeah, I'm really excited about Jaquan uh, being a uh, part of the, the Crimson Tide team next year. Uh, Going to be uh, a fifth-year player now. I think I think he's been uh, been in college for a while now. Uh, we we recruited him. Uh, Alabama being uh, recruited him back uh, early like 2019, 2020 times. Uh, he ended up going to Georgia. You know, not really playing a whole lot there. Uh, transferring to Shelton State up here in Tuscaloosa. Uh, played a year up here at Shelton, uh, had a pretty good season, ended up going to Wichita State. Uh, was originally supposed to go to Mississippi State after graduating from Shelton State, but uh, that coaching change there led to him going to Wichita State, uh, where he had a great season, like you said. Uh, averaged nearly 14 points a game, uh, shot 40% from three uh, as well. Uh, was really effective, uh, as well as around the rim, you know, 60, uh, 63% from two. Uh, was was a really good season from him at Wichita State, playing with uh, former Alabama player uh, James Rojas uh, last year. And uh, now he's coming to Tuscaloosa, where I think, you know, I think there's definitely a potential for him to have a huge role for us next year, uh, you know, playing sort of that wing position. I, I think he can play, you know, a number of different positions, uh, being six foot seven, uh, having, you know, the stretch ability to shoot from three, you know, pass the ball, like you said, uh, rebound the ball at a high rate. Uh, and then also play some defense on the other end. I think he's going to be a great addition to the team and sort of the first step, you know, in building what is uh, hopefully going to be another roster that can that can uh, lead us to another NCAA tournament appearance. Well, one of the transfers for the Alabama basketball roster that I don't know if a lot of people saw it coming, I know I did not, was Namari Burnett. And he decides to say, hey, look, I love Coach Oates and I love my team and it was great having an opportunity to win a national championship, but leaving Texas Tech and then deciding to come to Alabama, now leaving Alabama, it's just one of those things about the portal that I think it really makes you scratch your head. And, and when is a fit a good fit for a player? Yeah, I mean, I think I think with Namari, you know, he, you know, he started out as a starter this year, you know, playing a lot of minutes, uh, was really excited. Uh, you know, Oates had a lot of uh, complimentary things to say about him uh, before the season uh, as far as his shooting was concerned and practice and those sorts of things. Uh, and we sort of saw that a little bit to start the season. Uh, I think he had a couple of good performances. Uh, notably, Jackson, uh, Jacksonville State, the fourth game of the year, he had hit five threes and scored 18 points. And you think, okay, he's going to be a really great player uh, that you know starts all of our games this year and is a really big piece of the, of the puzzle. Uh, and then he gives, goes down with the injury uh, right before the Memphis game. Uh, breaks his wrist, uh, has to have surgery. And I think that just sort of put him off of, you know, the path that he was on, uh, which, you know, really set him back uh, as far as getting back into the swing of things, you know, getting back into the rotation consistently. Uh, and sort of he got passed up a little bit, to be frank. Uh, I think it was it was just you know, a function of, you know, other guys were playing better at the time and his minutes sort of dwindled down until, you know, he was he was barely playing at times. And, you know, that's sort of how things, these things sort of go, uh, especially in the transfer portal era. You know, uh, you're going to lose players every year uh, pretty much. Uh, I know a couple of years ago we didn't have a transfer out after the, uh, the 2021 season, I think it was. We didn't have any transfers out. Uh, but, you know, that, that's sort of how it goes. Uh, you know, as long as you're keeping your – you know, sort of your main players around, you know, guys like Mark Sears, Charles Bediaco, players like that, you know, if you can keep those guys around in your program, 
and then you know the sort of the, the more fringy players, you know, which is what Namari ended up being at sort of towards the end of the season. You know, if you can replace those guys, uh, you know, year on year, you know, you have to feel pretty good about where you're at as long as you can keep that core together. Andrew, I think that the the nature of portals, port, the portal era that we're in, has kind of breeded a lot of rumors, and, and people think, oh, is this guy going to leave? Is this guy going to leave? And after Namari entered, which was a bit of a surprise, uh, you know, people are talking about Jaden Bradley. Uh, you know, potentially Ryland Griffin as well. The the one that was a bit of a surprise to me that I, I've seen thrown out a lot is Nick Pringle. Is that just a situation, in your opinion, where obviously Bidiaco is going to be back? Is it just Nate Oates isn't going to throw two guys out there playing meaningful minutes that you know are not going to be a factor from three? Yeah, I, I kind of, and I, I've heard the same things you have about Pringle, and I don't necessarily know where it's coming from. I don't necessarily subscribe to the theory that he's going to 100%, you know, go. I, I, I don't, I don't see that necessarily. I'm not saying that it's not going to happen, but uh, if you ask me today how I felt about it, I feel like, you know, there may be one more defection out of the names that you talked about there. Uh, I think that's possible, but I wouldn't expect too much more movement necessarily uh, on the roster. And you know, as far as and, and with that being said, I, I, I don't necessarily think Pringle going, I, I think he'll be a, a definite part of the rotation next year. Obviously, if, if he ends up going, don't, you know, come at me, but, you know, that's just how I sort of see the situation right now. Well, not only that, with the comings and goings on the rosters, I know Coach Petway, Antoine Petway, is the only remaining assistant coach left on Coach Oates' staff, and I just was wondering how long do you think it will take Coach Oates to go ahead and fill that staff? Because, again, the recruiting cycle is nonstop, whether it's hitting the transfer portal or going to see these high school athletes. And the more coaches you have on campus, the easier it is for you to recruit. Are there any guys that are going to come in as one-and-dones that are going to make a difference in next year's roster? Uh, well, that's part of that first, the co filling up the staff, you know, I feel like, you know, there are names in mind uh, that there had to have been because, you know, it wasn't just, you know, last week that, you know, Charlie Henry and Brian Hodgson were interviewing for head coaching jobs. It just, it just didn't happen that way. You know, they, they were already in the process of those job interviews, searches and those sorts of things. So I feel like there are names in mind uh, now, as far as actually, you know, putting pen to paper, you know, that's sort of a little bit uh, un unclear right now. Uh, I would hope, uh, you know, in the next few weeks we'll have some news about that. Um, you know, there's a big question that happens around the time of the Final Four in the Final Four city. Uh, and I, I assume that Coach Oates and Coach Petway will both be there. Uh, and, you know, that's a big networking event for, for coaches to, uh, to you know, talk to other coaches and, you know, sort of, you know, figure out some things about, you know, staffs and that sort of thing. So I feel like we'll probably have some news in the, in the next few weeks. Uh, and then, I'm sorry, repeat the second part of that. Just in regards to who's going to come in to make a difference, is there that McDonald's All-American that's going to come in and make that difference mm -hmm. on the roster next gotcha. year for the Crimson Tide? Yeah, I I feel like, you know, with as far as the freshmen are concerned, uh, probably not in the same way that Brandon Miller did. Uh, obviously, Brandon Miller is a uh, generational player uh, at Alabama, and I, he had a great season, and, you know, he was a great player, and, and now he's most definitely going to the draft, I would assume. Uh, as far as replacing that sort of impact, I don't necessarily see that uh, in what we've got right now and what could, we could get. 
Uh, obviously, there could be a huge portal name that hasn't hit yet, and we go out and get them. That's obviously a possibility. But I think you know the the construction of next year's team will be a lot more uh, well-rounded with youth. Uh, you know, bringing in youth and then trying to develop them. You know, with guys like uh, Muhammad Diabate, uh, Sam Walters, uh, who are both freshmen coming in, as well as you know, Devin Cosby. Uh, who came in uh, at, at the semester break in January and has already been practicing with the team uh, as a freshman, uh, trying to get him up more up to speed to have early minutes. Uh, so I feel like this team, you know, obviously winning 31 games is incredible, and I don't necessarily think that we'll do that next year. Obviously it could happen, but I don't necessarily anticipate that. Uh, but I feel like we'll have a at least a more you know future-focused team where we can say, oh, we have, you know, seven or eight guys that you feel like can really make an impact for multiple years. And I think that's sort of what we're getting to in the sort of roster development process of making Alabama one of the best teams in the country in basketball on a year-in and year-out basis. Andrew, it feels like the Noah Clowney stock has kind of, I don't know if cooled down is the right word, because, I mean, if he were to enter the draft, I think he would still be probably a late first-round pick at worst. Uh, But, I mean, there was talk in the middle of the season that he's for sure gone. There would be no reason for him to stay. Whereas now it kind of feels like he could play himself into being a lottery pick next year. If you were to stay, I, I mean, do you think there's any chance that Clowney could surprise some people and elect to stay for his sophomore year? Uh, I am, I'm a huge subscriber of the never say never theory. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not going to say hundred percent. No. Uh, but if you ask me today, I would, I would say that it is uh, rather unlikely that he'll, come back i think that there's a lot of been a lot you know said about his draft stock you know starting from the beginning of the year where he was not really on draft radars for this year uh and then you know he sort of had a great you know middle of the season i was really looking good kind of dropped off a little bit late in the season but I, I still think that he'll he'll most likely go uh and if he did stay you know there is a there's sort of an argument to say okay maybe he'll stay because the 2024 draft class is looking a lot weaker than this year's draft class uh, so, you know, maybe there, maybe he looks at that draft class and says, oh, I'll just come back and really improve and, and then go out next year and be, you know, potentially that lottery pick, uh, you know, even into the top 10, potentially. Uh, obviously, there's a lot, you know, to go in there. He has to make improvements on his game that he didn't have this year. Uh, but if you ask me right now, I would say he'll probably go uh, and he'll probably be, you know, maybe late lottery at, at the be- very best if he tests really well in the, the pre-draft process. But, you know, I think he's definitely a safe first-round pick at this point. Looking at the season from a, a larger context as a whole, and obviously, you know, you win 31 games, most in school history, double SEC championship. It was a phenomenal and historic season. Uh, it, it, you can understand the sentiment of being disappointed with the way it ended. Obviously, it was crushing and disappointing, but. I mean, if you look at the Final Four this year, uh, is that encouraging for the future? Like, all right, we just have to have a pretty good team and and get into the tournament and get hot at the right time and get some good matchups. Yeah, I think that's always the case. You know, getting into the tournament uh, year on year and then, you know, all it takes is having one run where you just get super hot. That's what happened with with Auburn's run back in uh, 20, I want to say 2019 or 2018, I think it was. Uh, where they went to the Final Four, and that's that's what they talk about a lot, and understandably so. I mean, a Final Four is a huge accomplishment. Uh, that team, you know, they could have lost in the first round. They, they were one shot away from losing to New Mexico State in the first round, and who knows what would have happened if, you know, that shot goes in for New Mexico State. So, 
you know, I think, you know, getting into the tournament year on year and, you know, getting a team eventually that has a lot of continuity from year to year uh, in the players that are around and then also having a lot of experience, you know, the teams that are in the final four this year, San Diego State had four COVID seniors. Uh, Florida Atlantic uh, had top 25-ish in uh, minutes continuity. So players that returned from last year's team to this year's team for Florida Atlantic, they had their 26 in the country in that. That's really good. They had they had a lot of you know they had, they had a lot of you know uh, they gelled really well together you know over the last few years. So having that year on year continuity and that's really tough with the transfer portal. The transfer portal you know makes that really hard because guys are constantly going in and out and that's just sort of how it goes. But if you can manage to have a group that's super experienced uh, has a lot of experience together. You know, that's the team that makes a run uh, to the Final Four and, you know, wins a national championship, usually. Uh, and that, that's a pretty good recipe for it. So I think, you know, the goal for Alabama should just be to continue to make the tournament every year. You've made it three years in a row. You have to feel pretty good about that. Uh, and then, you know, continue to try to make deep runs in March. But, you know, this year, like you said, was a great year when you win 31 games. You can't complain about 31 games, even if you do lose in the Sweet 16, which was a, you know, a tragic end to what was a great season. But, so you just have to keep getting to that point. If you don't get to that point, you can't win a national championship. So I think we've done a pretty good job of, you know, getting to that point over and over and over under NATO. And hopefully, hopefully, you know, they can continue to do that as they move forward. Well, Andrew, uh, you know, you guys over at Crimson Crossover, you guys do a phenomenal job with, you know, all your Twitter. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty and Michael Brauner joining you this afternoon. And last night, the 2023 Basketball Hall of Fame class was named. And three San Antonio Spurs from that great era that five-time champion Greg Popovich had an opportunity to be a part of. Greg Popovich, Becky Hammond, and Tony Parker all inducted into the 2023 Basketball Hall of Fame, along with Paul Gasol, Dirk Nowitzki, and Dwayne Wade. Great class right there. You you know, the name that really sticks out to me immediately is, of course, D-Wade. And D-Wade, just a high-flying performer. And to me, when you start doing comparisons, John Morant and Dwayne Wade have the potential to mirror one another in regards to their upside. Dwayne Wade achieved everything he needed to achieve from an NBA standpoint. And Dirk, anytime you start putting statues up outside an arena, you know you're legendary and historic. And Gasol, of course, had his jersey retired by the Los Angeles Lakers. Huge, huge accomplishment there. And Popovich, just one of the most dominating coaches since Phil Jackson I like those nominees. Were there anybody who you felt might have gotten in that did not, Michael, or were you surprised with the names that were called? No, I mean, was there anyone who was eligible that, that didn't get in that, that you were surprised at? I, that list sounds about right to me. Yeah, not not necessarily. I mean, I, I think that when you look at this class, I don't think it'll be one of the greatest of all time, but some definitely outstanding and well-deserving NBA players Unlike Ben Simmons' contract for the New Jersey Nets, hmm. he's owed $80 million over the next two oh, years. That's nothing. Where, where, where are they going to move him to? 
I mean, they've shut him down for the rest of the season, but to me, he's been MIA the last three years. That's what I was about to say. Like, you just told me that, and again, I say this as someone who doesn't follow the NBA, especially in the regular season, super closely. Uh, So take my thoughts on this with a little bit of a grain of salt if you're a big NBA guy. But, you know, as someone who casually follows the NBA, it's like the fact that Ben Simmons is shut down for the regular season. I like I wasn't even aware that he was playing. So, <laughs> I mean, it, it it feels like I hear the same story with Ben Simmons every other week. Well, you haven't heard because he hasn't played since February fifteenth oh. with a nerve impingement. But at the same time, with that being said, sooner or later, you you just look at the Nets organization. You you. Traded away Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden. You, you you brought in Ben Simmons. And in the NBA so far in his career, at 26 years old, Ben Simmons has absolutely robbed every franchise he's played for. Oh, man. It just uh, it hadn't worked out for him, has it? I, I don't know if it ever will. I mean, I can understand the Blazers – shutting down Dame Lillard. That's your franchise, period. And you're not making the playoffs if you're the Portland Trailblazers. So, understandably so. I, I, w- I would have done the same thing if I'm the Portland Trailblazers. And you can talk about load management. You can talk about paying to see a superstar. But why risk it at this point in time if if you're out of playoff contention? And Ben Simmons is one of those guys that's – Never even been in playoff contention. And when he was with the Philadelphia 76ers, he he couldn't make a free throw or a jump shot, much less a slam dunk. So he's one of those guys that, to me, is just taking money in eighty million over the last over the next two years. That's what he that's what he's owed. NBA contracts are inflated as it is. So, you know, I'd be curious what the NFL equivalent is to that. But. Man, I mean, that's got to rank near the top of the list for worst sports contracts of all time, right? It's unbelievable. I mean, the the amount of money that he's receiving that he's not playing for, that he's going to receive guaranteed. You know, one of the players we talk about load management is Kevin Durant making his return to the Phoenix Suns after that awkward slip. Yeah, he hasn't played since in then, water. has he? I, I mean, they're four and six without Durant, and he's missed the last ten off of that ankle injury he he suffered in warm-ups. They're, they're battling for a playoff spot in regards to being a, a two or three seed. I, I'm just not sure, will Durant make that difference with the Phoenix Suns, and can they close ground with him playing? So it, it, there's, what, 10 games left or so, roughly? Right. And, and he's is, is he coming back? in the next or, he's coming or, back tonight oh he is oh he is playing tonight okay. he's returned okay. tonight my, 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 my mistake there uh okay i mean if if you're the Suns, i think more so than anything i mean if you're a two or a three yeah it makes a difference um uh, but you figure you're gonna win that first round matchup regardless so more so than anything is is getting that chemistry because he's played what three or four games in phoenix uh, so more so than anything, you get that chemistry and figure out how to play uh, on uh, on this team. Not that Kevin Durant, you know, he can mesh with anyone. He's, he's one of the best players, certainly of this generation, if not the best. And so 
not that he can't fit in anywhere, but you know, you get ten games under under your feet before the playoffs to really get right and and hopefully build up some kind of chemistry for a team that is hopeful to win the Western Conference. So good that he's coming back now instead of you know game three of the first round. Well, the Suns are forty and thirty five and eleven games back of the Denver Nuggets. They're not they're not catching the Nuggets, and to me, they're not going to catch the Kings. The Kings are six games back. The Suns are eleven games back. You you have, if not the best basketball player in the world returning to your lineup. It's sure it's not going to hurt you. I can promise you that. So yeah, so they're what five games out of the the two seed then. Okay, so again, like the seeding. Kings are three seed. Suns right now are four seed, and and they're five games back of the Kings. Okay, so again, seeding wise, yes. Would you like to? Make up those five games over ten. I mean, yes, you would like to, but it's unlikely that you're making up five games over ten. It's probably not going to happen. I think more so than anything, you're looking at figuring out, all right, like let's become a team over the next ten games that no one wants to deal with in the first couple of rounds in the playoffs. Well, with superstars coming and going, it, you, again, load management is an issue that's been talked about in the NBA. You shut franchise players down. You have franchise players returning at the right time if they're in the playoff hunt. And we'll see what Kevin Durant, see what type of show he's able to put on against the Minnesota Timberwolves tonight. Coming up next, we have Danny Smith. He is an assistant football coach currently at Mobile Christian. One of Marty McDowell's former coaching assistants at Shaw High School. We'll reminisce with Danny Smith about the late Marty McDowell next year on the final drive. Hi, this is Bill Hancock, Executive Director of the College Football Playoff, and you are listening to WNSP 105.5 in Mobile. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with Michael Bronner, joining you here. And yesterday, we were able to talk about some sad news that occurred. Marty McDowell from Murphy High School, along with Mississippi State fame, and of course, signing with the Minnesota Vikings as well, passing away. And for the rest of the week, just would love to pay my respects to Marty McDowell. And the best way I know to do that is through talking to people who knew him best. Yesterday, we talked to Terry Curtis, who had Coach Marty McDowell on his staff at Shaw High School. And one of those other assistant coaches was also Danny Smith at Shaw High School. And Danny Smith is a Shaw Rebel graduate as well as just knows so much about the history of Shaw High School and what it meant to that West Mobile community, but also had an opportunity to coach with Marty McDowell. And Coach Danny Smith is now one of the great assistant coaches here in the Mobile, Baldwin County area at Mobile Christian. Coach Smith, good afternoon, and thanks for joining us here on The Final Drive. Hey, Corey, how you doing, my man? Man, absolutely too blessed to be stressed, Coach, and just wanted to to get on here and talk to you, as I did with Coach Curtis yesterday, about our, our fondest memories of Marty McDowell. And Coach McDowell was one of those guys that 
you, you just really never heard him moan and groan and pout and complain, just was always positive, low-key and low-mannered and just so well-respected in the coaching profession. Oh, man. I tell you, Corey, I got so many great stories about Marty. It's unreal. And uh, first of all, I just want you know, I loved him, man. He was a great, great guy to work for. And uh, I just have so many stories. And just, you know, some of them just it sticks out that, like, we would have a staff meeting and after a football practice. And the door, you know, somebody, the kids would be knocking on the door and want to go talk to him. And he would stop our meeting, go talk to the kids. And he'd stick his head back to the door and say, hey, look, meeting is over with we have another staff meeting tomorrow he always put those kids first when i coached with him and he was such a great mentor to those guys you know like you said he was such a a, a gentle spirit and the way he came across he just won you over by his, his actions his words and deeds and he he was he was phenomenal and um and he those kids like this was back in the, in the 90s when i coached with him maybe 90 95, 96, 97, um, and there's a couple of guys that really stands out, a guy named Robert Harris and Carlton Mosley. They just, they loved him. And when Marty got sick, this is how much of an impact he had on those kids. When Marty loved the game of golf, and he had a hard time getting around, and those kids would take time out, 25 years, would go get Marty, put him in a golf cart, drive around so he can play golf. So that's kind of the impact he made on kids, man. And uh, I tell you, he was, he was phenomenal. And always smiling, always, you know, we all had issues, whatever. Marty never, you know, he was always putting those kids first. And he always had a smile on his face and very humble. Always live a life of giving. And that's what it's all about. It really is, Coach. And when you can just leave your mark on different types of players, but as well as coworkers, because, you know, to be loved by your players, you know, you push them, you get the best out of them and for them to come back and give and tell you what they meant to you years later, that's one of the greatest compliments that we can get as coaches. But as coworkers, sometimes that's overlooked as well because there's nothing he would not do for a coworker if you asked him as well. Oh, absolutely. You know, when I, I know when I worked with him, I worked with Terry, um, Tommy Davis and Terry Curtis and all these guys that came through Shaw. So when Marty took over, you know, I was his coordinator. And he first saw, he said, Coach Smith, he said, well, that defense is yours. You run it, whatever you want to do. And never stuck his nose in at what we're going to do. But not just the fact of coaching on the field. You know, when I was a young coach back then, he says, look, one day you'll be a head football coach. And he said, I'm going to put a good word. I'm going to help you out. He said, you're a good guy. And I just really bonded with Marty, you know, and, and he was just, I mean, I, just so many things that he did. I, I never forget at our banquet, you know, it, it, we didn't have a lot of money in our booster club. And he made it a point that he's going, he told me, he said, look, I'm going to get every coach, one of our sisters, I'm going to give him a gift. He said, we don't have the money in the booster club to do it. But I'm going to figure out a way to do it. And I know he, he out of money of his own pocket. He gave all the coaches to make them feel appreciated. When, when somebody makes you feel good or goes out of their way, they run through a wall for you and that's the kind of coach that marty was you know and and you talk to anybody that ever worked with marty mcdowell you will never hear anything negative from that man here's this guy who was an all-american at mississippi state playing the nfl for three years and you would never know it sitting in a room because he was so humble you know and just that's just you know what what a legacy that he lived you know going back and look and it, it now back then it was just, it is unbelievable and uh, he, he was just you know he was a phenomenal athlete and he could do play any sport but you know what's more importantly he was a better man than he was an athlete and that says a lot 
It really does. We're talking with Danny Smith, who is currently an assistant coach with the Mobile Christian Leopards. And, Coach, you know, making a difference is what you get into the teaching and coaching profession for. And it, all it takes is making that difference in one. And when that one, you know that you've made a difference in their life, it leads to many others. And I, I think that what you've said about Coach McDowell rings so true, but talk about just his Shaw Rebel and Shaw Eagle spirit that he exuded in and, and what that meant to him in his time walking the halls with you and I both at Shaw High School. Oh man, it just it meant the world from you know the world to him that he was able to take over. You know that back then, you know we, I mean Shaw had some really really good athletes come through there. And then when 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 Coach Curtis left, went to Murphy, then Tommy Davis was there, and Tommy got where he didn't want to do it anymore, and Marty took over. You know Shaw didn't lose a beat. People don't realize, you know, in his first year we made it to the third round of the playoffs. And um, but you know just in the hallway, teachers loved him. He would go out of his way to. to to, to talk to all the teachers, always smiling and just that gentle spirit. And he was like a magnet that, that, that just it, it attracted people to him. And uh, he was just such a pleasure to be around, you know. And you, and it was every day. It, it wasn't no, you know, top of the hill, bottom of the hill. Every day, Marty brought a, such a good spirit in the hallways. And it reflected on, you know, everybody was around him and all the kids and, and, uh, and the administration. He was so well thought of. And not just, you know, of course, you know that in the community, but in the school itself. At Shaw, it was uh, he was a legend there, just like he was at Murphy, just like he was at Mississippi State and, and Minnesota Vikings. I agree with you there, and we're talking with Danny Smith about the late Marty McDowell. And yesterday, when I was getting ready to get on the air, I know I was choked up when I found out that information, and I just wanted to speak with not only you and Coach Curtis, and tomorrow probably speak with Muskegon Barnes about his time at Murphy while he saw. The same coach that set numerous records at Murphy go on to be on his staff and just to give back. If Coach McDowell could not give back physically, he definitely gave back mentally. And he just wanted to bring awareness to the terrible disease that kept him from being able to even drive a car the last three and a half years of his life. And that's something that, you know, we look at it and saw the great Muhammad Ali, the, the greatest of all time in any in any sport, not and, and be a shell of himself. But here it is. Marty McDowell still physically and mentally was able to communicate with us, was able to do everything but drive. And just at 63 years of age, you, you just want to continue to give people their flowers while they're living. That's why I'm so happy the Mobile Sports Hall of Fame acknowledged him in 2015, and he was an SEC legend in 2018. Oh, absolutely. And uh, he deserved every bit of it. Way, way too young to leave us. You know, 62, 63 years old, you know, and um, it's, just, it's just really sad. But we, I, I know Marty from a personal part. He's in a better place. I mean, he was a bona fide Christian and kept a Bible on his desk, and he would preach to these kids all the time. 
you know, and, and, and I tell you just another story that came up. And after a practice, Marty would look at his team and he says, Look, look at me and I guys. He said, This is your assignment for tonight. He said, I want you to go home, look at your mom, your dad, your grandpa, whoever you stay with. He said, You want to, I want you to thank them. I want you to tell them you love them and give them a hug. And he followed up on that. And those kids come out, Coach, I told my mom last night I love them. He said, well, You need to do that every day. You need to hug them every day. And he, and he would see some of the parents at some of the games or practice and he would ask them, Oh, yes, sir, coach. They did, man. I sure appreciate that. That's the first time my kid, you know, these teenagers gave me a hug and I don't know when. Just the little, little things like that that, you know, that, that Marty did, it really made a huge impact. Coach, I, I, I'm going to tell you this last story. I'll let you tell our listeners that I really chuckled at last night about when Mississippi State played the Alabama Crimson Tide. And, of course, Marty McDowell in that era to where Paul Bear Bryant still roamed the <laughs> sidelines there for yeah. the Alabama Crimson Tide. Uh, and I, I'll let you take the story from there, Coach. All right. Listen, I'm going to tell you one quick story about softball. I'm going to tell you what a phenomenal athlete he is. He said, out back in the day, I played a little softball. We needed an extra player. We didn't have it nine. Got Marty out there. Hey, guys, we got Marty McDowell coming to play. They thought Marty was just a football player. Corey, that night he went four for four, hit two home runs, and threw a couple of guys out. It was unbelievable. He was like, I'm telling you, he was another Bo Jackson. You know, that kind of athlete he was. But let me tell you about the story about Alabama. Alabama won an S championship, 78-79. Going into 1980, they had a 28-game losing streak going up to um, Jackson, Mississippi State, play uh, Mississippi State. And Marty was part of that team to beat Alabama. So there was a play right right in front of Bear Bryant, you know, walks on water. And uh, so, man, Marty got drilled out of bounds. And, you know, Marty looked up at the officials like knowing it was a late hit. Where's the flag? So the two guys, two officials, turned around and looked at Bear Bryant. And Bear Bryant said, uh, yeah, that was a flag. He, he kind of nodded his head. You could throw it. Then they threw the flag on Marty. I mean, on, on the two Alabama players for a late hit. And I, it was hilarious. You hear Marty tell these stories like that. You know, he's like roll, almost rolled Bear Bryant over after they hit him. You know, Bear Bryant jumped back out of the way keep from, you know, for Marty tackling the bear. You know, and he said, he looked up, knew it was a late hit. And they didn't <laughs> call it until Bear Bryant gave him permission <laughs> to throw the flag. Yeah, and it was a 15. That, that's that's great stuff right there. That's the type of stories that you love to hear Coach McDowell tell and share and will continue to be shared as we will continue to keep his memory alive for everything that he did, not only for our high school student athletes, but what he left for Murphy High School students to chase as well as Mississippi State student athletes as well. And Danny Smith, can't thank you enough for not only your time today, but your friendship as well and the different that you've made in so many lives over so many years and just continuing to be a pillar of strength through all adversity. And I, I, I truly appreciate our friendship. Uh, thank you so much, Corey. And it was a pleasure to be on your show today. Anytime, my friend. Danny Smith, assistant coach currently at Mobile Christian, joining us to reminisce about the great Marty McDowell. When we come back here on the final drive, We'll switch a little bit of lighter gears here. We'll talk about a beer heist gone wrong here on one of our campuses. I will say locally within the Southeastern Conference. Local enough. Local enough. We'll talk about that next year on the final drive. Hi, I'm Vern Lundquist from CBS Sports. You're listening to WNST Mobile, Alabama. 
The final drive here on WNSP 105.5 with Corey LeBounty and Michael Brauner. Mike, I, I know that you being a recent college graduate, when you go to the games, some students who are of legal drinking age love to indulge in an adult beverage. It's a nice way to phrase it, but yeah, continue. So a 19-year-old LSU student decided he and his buddies wanted to go ahead and get into Tiger Stadium and found an opportunity to take $1,500 worth of beer and take it back to their dorm rooms. Well, they kind of got caught red-handed by the surveillance cameras that are there. The eye of the tiger, so <laughs> to speak, there caught them. Um, and this particular student and his buddies, when they fled the scene, they had the beer in this young man's dorm room, and he gets arrested for taking $1,500 worth of beer out of Tiger Stadium. Now, I have a couple of questions here. One, does the article indicate what kind of beer was taken? I'm, I'm going to give credit to to my buddy Mark Heim for, for putting this one on AL.com. Oh, it was a Mark Heim article. It, it, it was a, a Mark Heim article, and... He came. It came from the arrest documents obtained by WBRZ TV, but again, I, I don't know what kind of beer he got caught with. But my my question is, was he drunk when he did it? I bet he was drunk when he came up with the idea for it. <laughs> uh, you know, I I I hope he wasn't drunk when he did it. Certainly was uh, was driving, but sounds like he got caught. So. <laughs> Man, uh, $1,500 worth of beer from Tiger Stadium. You wouldn't have to buy a beer in Tiger Stadium for all the football season if, if he hadn't gotten caught. And, and listen, I'm not going to come on here and advocate for crime. You know, of course not. But, wow. How, how about that, huh? 19 years of age. He also got caught. It, it, so. it, it, <laughs> if he's 21. Cool. Oh, okay, if he's 21, you're, you're of legal age. Yeah. You're 19. You're at LSU, you're a student, and you get caught with the beer, $1,500 worth, in your dorm room. Yeah, it's a bit more than just like a student misconduct. You know, if you're a freshman and you get written up for, like, having a case of beer in your fridge, that's a bit more than, like, a case of beer. <laughs> arrested it's unfortunate in, he stole it, too. <laughs> a arrested and charged on one count of simple one burglary. Count? Now, charged with one count of simple burglary – my my thing is, what is simple about taking fifteen hundred dollars worth of beer from Tiger Stadium? This feels like an elaborate heist, not, uh, not really a simple. Uh, no, there's nothing simple about taking fifteen hundred dollars worth of beer from Tiger Stadium. I, I just think that for him not to think that the eye of the tiger was not going to catch him, <laughs> I, 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 that just blows my mind. It's like maybe like if you did this in like 1980. You would have gotten away with it. <laughs> and like, you almost, unless someone saw you sneak it. And, and again, you said it was in his dorm room. I wonder how he got the $1,500. Because $1,500, and we're definitely talking like Bud Light, Miller Light, Michelob, whatever it was. That's like, I don't know what the math is. We're talking like probably 100 cases of beer, let's say. So how did the beer get from the truck to his dorm room? No wonder he got caught. 
He's on every single camera just lugging case after case after case of beer. You know, you, you would think a front desk person after after like the 80th case of beer is like, Where, where'd you get where'd you get that? Loading uh, into a black pickup truck some $1,500 worth of beer and, and thinking that you were going to go ahead and get away with this elaborate prank. I, I don't know if prank is the right word. I mean... It's not really a prank if you're drinking a cold beer that was free after that. You know. And again, you know, underage drinking, it probably does happen on a lot of campuses across the country. And no. definitely can't condone either one of those, underage drinking or stealing. But the fact that it was in his dorm room, $1,500 worth of beer. That that's what really blows my mind, and I, 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 that's the most impressive part. That he got it from the truck to the door. If he just got pulled over on the way back, it'd be like, all right, this this dummy. But the fact that he got it to his dorm room, you gotta give him a little bit of props there. Unbelievable. A user in the app says that might have been close to 60 cases. So to again be charged with just one count of simple burglary, well, I, I guess he needs to find another profession. So. Tiger Stadium, vandalized for beer. The eye of the tiger catches him, and he goes to jail for it. Coming up next, David Morris, QB Country, will give us his thoughts on a couple of his clients' draft stock and contracts that they've signed. Coming up next here on The Final Drive. It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile. Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey LeBounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Michael Brauner behind the glass today. And it's always a privilege and a pleasure to talk with our next guest, the founder of QB Country, right here in our own backyard. It's that time of year, 365, where I can talk faith, family, and football with David Morris. David, good afternoon, and I know you're in the airport because it's that time of year to where you're working with these quarterbacks who are preparing for the next level. <laughs> That's right, Corey. How you doing, man? Absolutely blessed by the best, my brother. And I tell you, even better now that we're having an opportunity to get closer to the NFL draft to where so many dreams are reached. And you've seen so many of your former clients go on to ascertain that ultimate NFL dream and be a starting quarterback in the National Football League. Yeah, Corey, I missed, I'm sorry, I missed that. No, that's okay. I know you're at the airport. I was saying that you, you've had an opportunity to coach so many of those guys who are already obtained their NFL dream, and you're in the process of working with so many others who are trying to get and reach their NFL dream. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's, it's one of the cool things about what I get to do every day. You know, you work with, work with high school kids and middle school kids, and then you, you got guys in the league that are – you know, starting and, and, you know, playing well. And then you got guys in college that are backups or, you know, or maybe starting and, and um, 
and the ability to kind of train all those different types of guys in different phases of their development is, is, really, is really a lot of fun. So in this phase, is always fun getting guys ready for the draft. So, um, so I'm always excited when, when, you know, when pro days are here, and then I'm kind of always excited when they're over because I can get back home to the family. So <laughs> that's where I'm heading now. Nothing wrong with being with the family, David. But when you look at the development of the quarterback, I, I think the thing that I love most about QB country is you've seen middle schoolers come into your program, move on, be successful at the high school level, go on to be successful collegiately, and then ultimately make it to that NFL. When you watch and see some of these dreams obtained, whether it's like an A.J. McCarron or here recently – at this former pro day, Cephas Johnson III continue to grow as a quarterback. How much fun is that for you to see a player that you've known develop themselves through all their hard work? It's, it's, it's so much fun because you know you know how much they put into it. You know what it takes, and you know and it needs to be a commitment. And um, and you know to see them have success and you know, see dreams. Um, fulfilled is, is, is special you know it never works out the way you draw it up uh, there's always hiccups and there's always things that happen and that's what makes the special ones special you know they keep going and to persevere and um and yeah and, and the stories are incredible i'm so proud of Cephas. you know he did his draft cut with us uh you mentioned aj um you know he's, he's lighting it up in xfl right now and be back in the nfl next year and um, you know, Daniel Jones is a good example too. You know, guy we've trained since ninth or tenth grade, and um, you know, just kind of second contract in the NFL. So it's just the stories are incredible, and it's what makes it so much fun. And, um, and like you said, you know, a lot of a lot of guys, a lot of guys love training the stars and, and kind of think that's what it's all about. I think our approach is the opposite. Is that we love we love kind of the process of helping a kid develop and grow, and um, and you know, it really. It's finished really rewarding. David, not many people know more about what it takes to play the quarterback position at a high level than you. I, I'm just so curious from, from someone like yourself. I, I think there's been kind of this revolution over the past couple of years in terms of, you know, why you see these guys like the Levises and Richardsons of the world. I, I understand why they're thought of as these high prospects because look at the best quarterbacks in the league right now, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, you know, you're, got, you're big, mobile, strong-armed guys. I, I'm just so curious, like, what your thoughts on, on kind of this new type of quarterback that's taking over the NFL? Yeah, I mean, those two guys are very talented, big, physical, athletic, um, you know, specimens. And, you know, both of them had mediocre years. And so it's interesting. Um, you know, it, it, at what point does, you know, upside and, and talent, um, you know, weigh more than production and, and consistency, you know? And I do think that, um, sorry, we got some background noise, guys, but. I do think that those two um, guys, you know, will be interesting um, experiments. And, and I, you know, I think if you're going to go with one of them, you go with Richardson because he's more talented. But, again, you know, he was, uh, I think he's two to one and not even two to one touchdown interception ratio in his career, and he's uh, less than 60%. It's just you, you don't see many guys like that, uh, you know, have tons of success. Now, if anybody can do it, it's him. 
because he's he is so gifted. Um, and I, you know, I think I think a lot of him. I think he's a really good player. But um, you know, Levis had a bad year. Uh, Levis um, had a good year two years ago, and then this past year was, you know, it was the middle of the pack. And so again, you kind of get enamored with physical attributes and arm strength and all that stuff. And, and I do think that. Uh, it's dangerous, and so we'll see. You know, I mean, I think a lot of that too is like, okay, as you become a more consistent guy, you know, your intangibles special as well. And um, you know, time will tell if those guys have that leadership. And um, the thing we, you know, encourages and kind of the guys around them love playing for them and, and all that. That's special stuff there too. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what happens there. Um, you know, then you look at a guy like Bryce Young, who's smaller, but just incredible, and and you know did it all in the field. And so, you know, if you're talking to me, like who's the guy out of this draft? It's Bryce, and um, and uh, out of those top, you know, three or four guys, you know, it's pretty easy for me to say that. Well, you've trained a lot of quarterbacks, and what I love in talking with David Morris, the founder of QB Country, right here in Mobile, Alabama, in our own backyard, is not only your story of perseverance and finding a way to get into your niche coaching quarterbacks is the six degrees of separation because when you look at Daniel Jones going to the New York Giants franchise and it just so happens that your college roommate at Ole Miss being one Eli Manning and then you look at the connection that is there with Daniel Jones and the current Duke quarterback, Riley Leonard, and you haven't trained Riley as well. Isn't it amazing how that six degrees of separation does work and how all of them are able to just learn from one another and have kind of followed each other in their footsteps? Yeah, it's just really cool. It's, um, you know, <laughs> you know, God is good. And uh, I, do, I do think all these relationships are important. Um, I do think these things are worth paying attention to. And I always tell, <laughs> I tell guys when we're training uh, in, in Mobile, you know, whether it's a middle school group or a high school group, I say always pay attention to who, who you're in this group with. Because, you know, out of whatever, seven and a half billion people in the world, you, you, you get to share this hour, hour and a half on the field with these, you know, eight guys or whatever it may be. And I think that's special. And I, I think, you know, that's one of the things that, when I grew up, um, my parents, you know, kind of instilled that in us. Like, you know, relationships were important, and communication, and community, and uh, fellowship is important. And, and you know, there's an urgency there, and there's you got to be intentional about it. And so, yeah, I mean, I think you know those those dots that are connected. To, you know, just those folks you mentioned right there, guys that I love dearly and care for, and and um, and, I, and they do the same for me. And and uh, yeah, so so to see. You know, dots connect and, and doors open, and um, people learn from each other. And you know, and there's a lot of lot of success stories there, and a lot of lot of lot of hard times in all those guys' lives too. You know, and so to be able to share all of it is special, and then that's really what makes um, what I get to do you know so, so rewarding. One of the things that was rewarding for Daniel Jones was 
the Mobile Reese's Senior Bowl and him being a most valuable player in 2019, showing that he could be the elite of elite. And, of course, the Giants rewarding him with that big contract. And, of course, you mentioned how small this world is. And I know currently we have a lot of young quarterbacks that are garnering national attention. And one of those being Sarah Land's K.J. Lacey, only a sophomore, but has a different type of throwing motion, having an opportunity to have covered him several times with the Spartans and watching his growth from Daphne over to Sarah Land. Just talk about his elite awareness and how he's going to continue to progress because we have already talked about Ryan Williams and his blazing speed and becoming a five-star. And it never hurts to have five-star to throw to, but at the same time, you have to make the throws because you can have a five-star athlete that runs a 4-4 but overthrow him every time or never hit him on the numbers. K.J. Lacey is continuing to get better as a high school quarterback also. Yeah, KJ, KJ's really, really good. Uh, I think, you know, I think he has a chance to be uh, one of the best, if not the best quarterback to ever come out of Mobile. And then he's going to keep his head on his shoulders. you got to stay humble. He's got to keep developing and keep working. But he's very talented, and, um, and he handles success real well. He's well coached by Jeff Kelly and Brett Batwell. And, um, you know, KJ's a guy that's, I think I started trading KJ in fourth grade. And, um, you know, one of the things I always tell people about KJ is I don't know that anybody worked harder or more with us in the last decade than KJ Lacey. He's always there. Um, you know, he'll show up when we don't have a session because he thought we did. You know, <laughs> I mean, the guy just puts in the work. He knows what it takes. He, he, loves, he loves earning it. Um, he, he's got a he's got a he's got a great head on his shoulders. He's really smart. Um, he's got incredible instincts. So yeah, he's got a bright future. Just got to keep getting better and stay grounded and, and remember that there's a lot of distractions out there and not and not to be um, enticed by them. And with success comes big bigger targets. And you know you just gotta you gotta stay away from all that stuff that you know the hype and the media because it's it's he's getting a taste of it now, but it's going to continue and. Uh, and it's hard. I mean, it's you know, it's hard not to to, to you know love <laughs> recognition, and we all do. And sure. so I think uh, one of his challenges is just going to be, I mean, you, you're about to be a top three quarterback in the country, and you know, can you can you can you stay grounded and stay level and um, and stay and just be KJ? And he can't, and he can't. So it's gonna be fun to see. Well, you've definitely stayed grounded and rooted in your faith in your family and your football and that in those order is very important to you and your branch of QB country continues to grow across the country and I know up this upcoming summer we'll have the Manning Passing Academy that you always get a chance to see the biggest and the brightest quarterbacks in the country but I can't thank you enough for taking time while being at the airport, coming from a pro day and having an opportunity to watch young men continue to achieve their dreams. want to thank you so much for taking time out to join us here on the final drive. want to wish you safe travels and look forward to talking to you hopefully after the NFL draft too to see if Bryce Young goes ahead of C.J. Stroud for sure. Yeah, it'll be fascinating. And uh, hey, thanks for having me on, Corey. Keep keep doing great work, man. I'm, I'm proud of you too. You, uh, uh, you know, I know how hard you work, and you do it the right way. And uh, and I think that something that's always rewarded. So, cheers, buddy, and, uh, and keep keep doing keep doing God's work, man.
Thank you very much. David Morris, founder of QB Country, joining us this evening here on the final drive. We'll be right back with Michael Brauner on the other side of the glass. 251-694-1055 is how you can get in touch with us. This is Jordan Farley from the University of Alabama. You're listening to 105.5 WNSP. Roll Tide. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And want to thank David Morris, QB Country, for joining us in that last segment. And, you know, yesterday the NFL approved some rule changes, struck down some others. And one of the ones that I thought was one of the most interesting is finally letting players wear the number zero. And Calvin Ridley wanted to take advantage of being the first one that he wanted to wear the number zero. Does that mean he's going to play like a zero coming off the suspension? I surely hope not. But at the same time, the NFL non-fun league changes that rule, Michael. And I, I think that that's, you know, wearing zero. Who cares? I, what's funny is I, I wasn't even... I guess, you know, I didn't obviously I knew no one wore zero, but I wasn't really aware that that was a rule. And I kind of just became aware. Oh, yeah, no one no one wears zero. That's right. And then, uh, you know, come to find out it's it's a rule and now it's being changed. So I'm sure we'll see plenty of guys wearing zero. I wonder if double zero will be allowed, but it's going to look odd, I guess, at first. But yeah, I why the NFL would allow itself to to care, especially after you know, kind of allowing players to wear whatever number they want. What was it now? Two years ago, basically. So you're, you got defensive ends wearing single digits. Why, why not let people wear zero? Well, I mean, is zero a big time number in regards to Jersey numbers? I mean, Dame Lillard, zero, mm. Jason Tatum, maybe zero Carmelo, Anthony, zero, Chief Robert Parrish, double zero, but you know, Bobby Bonds apparently wore zero. I, I think the biggest thing is, you know, allowing the guys to make or have an opportunity to like the app says to make some extra revenue there by changing your jersey number. But anything that the NFL has banned and then you make a reversal on that, a reversal of fortune, of course, those those are those who want to go ahead and take advantage of that. Yeah, I, it's it's a good thing, I guess, that to kind of let players – it's just another step in, in, in the league kind of letting players do what they want in terms of what jersey they wear. So, no, I mean, it's a, it's a good thing there. I, I think to get worked up or upset about something like that is probably pretty silly. Uh, it took took a couple years to get used to the single digits thing, but I think at this point it's kind of a, a who cares on that. Well, if you think football is long now, you give replay officials an automatically an opportunity to review fourth down attempts, and I think that if you put a time limit on this, that's great to see whether it saves a timeout for a team to see if they on a fourth and close 
made the actual first down. But to me, that slows down the game. And I'm kind of shocked that the NFL went ahead and approved that one. So, uh, I'm sorry. So, the rule is? The replay official can automatically review a close play on a failed fourth down attempt. And this will save a team's challenge if it's a close call on fourth down. And the rule change may speed up the game since the replay official can review the play immediately. Okay. But I, it, I mean, I kind of thought that was already a thing, it, that if it's a close fourth down failure, that that would be reviewed. No? It's one of those things, though, that calling a timeout or having a challenge flag, if you feel as an official on fourth down alone, there is there a time limit because you can sit under there and, and look and look and look again and sometimes you see these reviews take anywhere from four to seven minutes the longer they take the uh better chance that they're gonna screw something up and i understand when it's close it's close you can't just look at it and say all right there you go every time uh certainly sometimes you can and it takes longer than uh than it needs to see uh, see the Pats Raiders Keelan Cole foot out of bounds right before the Jacoby Myers uh, errant, errant lateral that led to the Chandler Jones touchdown. But you know, I'll I'll always be bitter about that one. But it is what it is. Uh, there were a couple of those for the Patriots this year. But anyway, uh, yeah, yeah, these reviews are certainly taking too long for them to get the call wrong at the end of the day. So if you're gonna get the call wrong, you might as well get it get it wrong quickly. Well, I, I like the fact that. As far as from a roster standpoint, you have, of course, the 32 teams and they can keep the roster at 90 throughout the entire preseason and only have one day to trim the roster from 90 to 53 instead of like the periodic cutdowns. Exactly. So you, you probably won't see as many superstars playing, but again, how many weeks can you wait before you get great game reps? for your players so uh, you it allow more players to be there longer but at the same time well for up to me there'd be no preseason at all uh I'd, I'd go to an 18 game season and eliminate the preseason altogether i think at this point i don't think the teams even get a whole lot out of it yeah i guess i i think they get as much out of these joint practices uh like you know going up against another team for a week as they do uh, in these preseason games, I, I think any head coach would tell you that. I, I think these preseason games are essentially just a glorified version of on TV of the joint practices. So, no, I mean, I would get rid of the preseason altogether, but it's good that guys who probably aren't going to make a roster are going to have a chance to get some game action and, and maybe, you know, show why they should be on a roster. Well, I, I think that when you have all these cuts – probably happening over a slow period of time now it's going to be interesting to see what does happen because again if you sit your starters and you wait one week before the regular season starts sometimes those reps are very valuable reps but it does give you an opportunity again to keep that roster at a larger number instead of cutting it down periodically you can kind of see both sides of that too because it's like if you're a guy who thinks you're pretty safe and gonna make the roster it's like oh cut day comes then it's one week before the season and oh, suddenly i don't have a job anymore so whereas like during the periodic cut downs it's like all right i know i'm getting cut it is what it is now i can go find a new practice squad to be on or something like that i think that i do like the fact that again you have a 93 guys or 90 guys on the roster in preseason yeah it's a lot of people but 
you when bottom line is at the end of the day whether you're a rookie or a free agent when your number's called you better make the most out of your reps and you see that evident on hard knocks on HBO when they go inside and you really get an in-depth review and when they focus on one of those players that they feel is on the borderline of making that roster or not making that roster you you see when they get those reps behind the starters you better capitalize off of it now if you're a rookie and you've already signed that nice contract you're not necessarily worried about that from a job stability standpoint but if you are a free agent you best believe that preseason games every single rep I don't care how many seasons of hard knocks I've watched you hear a head coach or an assistant coach or a position coach say, make the most of your reps, and you've got to do that. They, they certainly matter. I, my, my point being that I think the practice, the practice reps and especially the joint practice reps against other teams matter just as much as these preseason games. Like, I, instead of preseason games, maybe just have more joint practices. I don't know. I, I personally am of the belief that the preseason is unnecessary, but – I, I mean, they won't change it. It's it's another moneymaker. But, so. but if you don't have a preseason, Michael, what what do you want? Just inter-squad scrimmages yeah. close to the public? I mean, that's essentially what the preseason is anyway, inter-squad scrimmages. So, what, so, you know, why not? The paying fan does not get an opportunity to really see an inter-squad scrimmage. The paying fan is barely showing up for the preseason anyway. So I, 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 I don't I, know the, about that, here, Mike. The, and the paying fan is not getting a product that is worth paying for when they're going and paying for a preseason game. So you you know that you're not going to see your ones out there in the first preseason you, game. You you know that when there, you purchase a ticket. There is a, a degree ticket. of like when you buy a ticket to a preseason game, like you know what you're getting into. Like you either got to be someone who to go to a preseason game, you either got to be someone one who really does is, is very a passive fan and doesn't really care at all. Uh, it's, and you know you're just at a football game, so whatever. Or two, you're like a a, a pretty big super fan, and uh, and it means a lot to you what these rookies are doing. Well, I, I love the preseason in regards to whether you go four games or shorten the preseason, whatever the case is. I love preseason football because it's football in general. And for of the course. public to be able to get into the stadiums and see that, I think that's great as well. Now, if you want to see a one, the only thing you can happen to see is hope to get a picture or an autograph because you're going to see them in street clothes or holding a clipboard because that's the only thing you're going to see from the ones and twos pretty much in preseason. But up next... Here on the final drive, we'll talk to Mallory Radwich, who is the women's softball coach at Coastal Alabama South. We have some sisterly love going on and a sister battle that we'll talk about next here on the final drive. Hey, this is Slick Willie Shaw from the world-famous Harlem Globetrotters. You're listening to Sports Radio WNSP 105.5 FM. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5. It's definitely a hump day edition. And I tell you, when you have an opportunity to go out and enjoy the outside activities when it's not raining in Mobile, Alabama, baseball and softball here locally are second to none is some of the activities that are great family affairs. And speaking of a family affair, coastal Alabama Souths. 
head women's softball coach Mallory Radwich joins us here making her debut on the final drive and Mallory welcome to WNSP's final drive thank you thank you for having me it's a pleasure to be joined by you and we were talking about a family affair and this week it's definitely a family affair as you're a former state champion at Baker High School and you and your sister both played for Tony Scarborough at Baker High School but it, it goes beyond Baker High School for the competition between sisters let our listeners know what they have to look forward to in regards to sister versus sister coming up this week yeah, so we're going to be matching up with Bishop State, and my sister is the head softball coach there, and um, they're actually uh, tied for first in the conference right now, so we have some big games ahead of us, and so uh, me and my sister are very competitive, and um, it, it kind of goes to a whole nother level when it comes to your job and, and meeting on the uh, softball field, so she's done a great job at Bishop, and um, definitely, you know, looking forward to competing um, against each other this week. Now, for those that don't know, what's your sister's name and how long has she been the head coach at Bishop State? Um, she took over at Bishop um, after Coach Archibald retired um, in 2020, May of 2020, and then um, she took over there, and her name is Monica Higginbotham. Uh, so she's been there this her third season at Bishop. And Mallory, you've done an outstanding job at formerly Faulkner State Community College, now Coastal Alabama South. And how long have you been coaching women's softball at Coastal Alabama? Uh, this is my 10th season uh, that I'm in currently. 10th season at Coastal Alabama. And we have a sister versus sister matchup from a head coaching standpoint. I know competition can be fierce amongst siblings, whether it's brother versus sister, brother versus brother, sister versus sister in this case. But when you start looking at the rivalry that exists between formerly Faulkner State Community College, now Coastal Alabama South, and Bishop State, and looking at bragging rights being on the line for an opportunity to move up in the rankings currently in your conference or your sister having the bragging rights and currently remaining atop of the division in the ACCC. I know it, it, it is fun in games in regards to postseason and after the game, but what happens in between the lines in, in women's <laughs> softball, it, it's, it's going to be a very competitive matchup. Absolutely. We can't even uh, play board games or cards together normally without getting into it. So it's a whole nother level when we're actually on the field competing against one another. Now, but it's a lot of fun. You all will be playing a couple of times against one another. When is the first matchup between Coastal Alabama South and Bishop State Community College? And where will that game be held? Because I know there's a second game that follows it a couple of days later. 
So uh, we actually had to flip-flop, and we will be at Bishop State tomorrow at 1 and 3 for a doubleheader, and then they will be at our place in Baymanette on Saturday um, for a doubleheader, um, you know, pending whether we're supposed to start at 1 o'clock on Saturday. So a Thursday-Saturday women's softball matchup between two rivalries in regards to school-wise, but taking it another level, two rivalries between two sisters who both were state champions at Baker High School. Now, now, who is the oldest of the two? Uh, I'm the oldest by a couple of years. Okay, so older sister definitely wants to have bragging rights. And, and we were talking about your tenure there at Coastal Alabama. Talk about the growth. I had Becky Clark on yesterday. What you've seen personally from your high school playing days until now and the growth of girls high school softball travel softball on to hopefully your roster or your sister's roster helping grow the game yeah the game has grown significantly since i played um i mean back when we played there was a couple of travel ball teams in the area and if you you know didn't play for one of those teams then you just didn't play travel ball now there's you know tons of travel ball teams and and like I said the game has just really expanded a lot of people are playing softball um, which is great because it gives us a lot of kids to you know to consider for our rosters and um, you know we came through in the transition from slow slow pitch to fast pitch and so everybody just kind of got out there and everybody tried to pitch and you know we had to see who could become a pitcher and and all that kind of stuff so um it's definitely grown significantly which is awesome and i mean to see how many games are actually televised nowadays and the amount of people that actually are into college football and watching it has is a very fast-paced fun you know exciting game so when people really start watching it and learn about it you know they really enjoy it I think that when you have an opportunity to see the game, especially in the Women's College World Series, it's at an all-time high because I know here lately in women's basketball, it got better ratings than the NBA. And that's when you start talking about a billion-dollar industry in the NBA and women's college basketball getting better ratings that's a billion-dollar industry. The same thing can be said about women's softball when it's played in the College World Series or the Women's College World Series as well. Yes, I would agree. Well, let's talk about again, Thursday and Saturday, the times and places for those matchups. You mentioned that that it kind of got reversed. So if anybody's looking at the schedules that they have, the times and places you'll be playing and some of the starting players and and some of the pitchers and some of your better players that are going to make a difference for your Lady Sun Chiefs program. Yeah, so again, we're playing at Bishop State tomorrow, Thursday at 1 and 3, and then we'll be in Baymanette um, at our place Saturday at 1 and 3, um, pending weather, um, you know, in the circle, um, we have Shelly Littlefield from Rehoboth High School, who was a standout um, for them. Um, she's uh, been our ace this season. Um, we've had a couple of kids, you know, hitting the ball really well. Madeline Becker uh, and also one of the Bishop players actually were just announced today as co-players of the week from their, uh, from last week uh, for their numbers they had last week. Both of those kids hit in the 600s last week um, in some non-conference matchups. So she's been 
hitting the ball really well. And then um, Colby Hollinger has been seeing the ball really well. She's from down the road in URI, um, from JU Blackshire. Um, so she's been doing a really good job in the DP spot. And, you know, a couple other kids have really just been uh, playing really well. So looking looking forward to seeing what they what they do tomorrow. Mallory Ratwich joining us. She is the head women's softball coach at Coastal South. And again, Coastal South playing Bishop State. It will be sister versus sister as the two head coaches, one at Coastal South, the other at Bishop State. That's something you don't see frequently and often, but when you do see it, you love to have the bragging rights. And if you're going to beat somebody, why not beat your sister? And especially when you're the older sister, but it, it's again, it's going to be a great robbery. It already has been established, as you mentioned, being at Coastal South now for 10 years. And I'm excited to be hearing about this matchup and this opportunity and to see how you guys come out and to see how your sister comes out to see who's going to have those bragging rights. And Mallory, can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us here on the final drive. And we'll be talking to you very soon. Thank you. Mallory Ratwich, the women's head coach at Coastal Alabama South, getting things done, playing against her sister in a doubleheader this Thursday and Saturday. Look forward to seeing those matchups and whether allowing how everything's going to wind up between those siblings and what kind of dinner they're going to have, who will have bragging rights at that Thanksgiving table. They will find out here this weekend. When we come back, we'll put the finishing touches here on the final drive and give you a preview of what to expect for tomorrow's show as well. Uh, this is Jim Brando of Fox Sports telling everyone along the Gulf Coast in Mobile, listen to the opening kickoff with Mark and Lee on 105.5 WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And I want to thank all our phenomenal guests for joining us here this afternoon. Sonny Smith, the former Auburn and VCU Head coach joining us to talk about why VCU is such a hotbed from a basketball standpoint, how that head coaching job can propel you into a power five job. We also talked to Andrew Parrish about the transfer portal at Alabama and what the roster is going to be like. Danny Smith gave us his thoughts on the late Marty McDowell. David Morris from QV Country joined us along with Mallory Radwich from coastal Alabama South and you know Michael we were talking about contracts and Ben Simmons earlier the next two years making 80 million dollars or do 80 million dollars and you're looking at an NFL franchise that really hasn't been great since the days of Doug Williams and coach Gibbs Daniel Snyder wants six billion for the commanders and I know a lot of NFL owners and players are hoping that he gets bought out or somebody decides to to chip in. And I know Magic Johnson is one of those guys that's part of a group that is going to make a bid. And again, the Broncos bought for $4.65 billion, but going for $6 billion, the Washington Commanders. And one of the things that I I thought was pretty interesting, too, when we're talking about contracts is Ken Griffey Jr. 
Yeah, that Ken Griffey Jr. still being the fourth highest paid player in the Reds roster, on the Reds roster. Uh, You want to talk about coming up with a a wonderful deferred salary contract. That's, That's pure brilliance by Ken Griffey Jr. So he's the fourth highest paid player on the Reds in 2023. I, man, I, I don't know. And again, my a friend from home, same guy as, uh, as the Seton Hall one, who, who's a big Mets fan every year on, on Bobby Bonilla Day. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll send him the jokes and, and, and make fun of him. He gets upset every year. I, I don't know why the Mets are, are the ones that get the uh the brunt of the flack for that i think that's a pretty common thing that a lot of teams are pl- are paying these guys deferred contracts i, I think bryce harper is going to be getting paid by the nationals until like 2034 or something like that but uh yeah ken griffey jr the fourth highest paid red this year for a team that was just atrocious last season so hadn't played a game since 2010 but again when you sign that deferred contract Ken Griffey Jr. showing his ways as a businessman as well. But what does that say for the Cincinnati Reds when they sign that contract along with the Mets? It's kind of like those cursed franchises. When you sign deals like that along with the Brooklyn Nets struggling the way that they are with the contract that has been handed to them with Ben Simmons and owing him 80 over the next two, 80 mil over the next two, you just have to be a great agent. Maybe Lamar Jackson needs to hire Ken Griffey Jr. as his agent to negotiate his deal or find a way or find out who Bobby Bonilla's agent was or Ben Simmons, for that matter of fact, because these guys are, are getting paid for nothing. Yeah, we'll find out uh, who negotiated these contracts and, and send a list of numbers to, to Lamar as to who he should be consulting because that's a, that's a whole other situation. Again, you want to hear more about that Lamar situation? Is he going to be traded? Is he not going to be traded? Check out WNSP Now. A new episode of the Throw It Deep podcast came out today. It was actually it was a good one. We talked a lot of Lamar stuff, got into the draft. Uh, so, you know, be sure to check that out on WNSP Now. Well, not only that, you can check out so many other programs that are available, available podcasts daily. I know as soon as our show is uploaded, when we leave here... I'm going to get that thing right up. You can have an opportunity, if you missed any of the show or want to hear what our guests had to say, you can go back and and listen to those podcasts. And also, tomorrow, we'll have a couple of Tide and Tiger Report. Drew DeArmond scheduled to join us along with Marquise Daniels who is a former Auburn great currently on Bruce Pearl's staff scheduled to join us along with Arthur Mack. There's a huge challenge of champions that are going to come up this weekend on Friday and Saturday. Hopefully won't get washed out, but you'll have the open division and the invitational division. One will be held on Friday, the invitational division on Saturday and open division will be held at UMS, right? And of course the invitational at St. Paul's and always look forward to some of the nation's best track and field participants coming to Mobile, Alabama for that invitational division that will be held on Saturday. We'll talk to Arthur Mack about some names to be looking out for. And Ryan Williams will probably be one of those names that he mentions in regards to being a difference maker. No, I mean, if if there's one kid in the Mobile, Baldwin County area who you can throw the difference maker label on, it would be 
Ryan Hollywood. Hey, his nickname's Hollywood for a reason. He told us when he came on, always puts on a show. Well, UAB put on a show last night with that big-time win over Utah Valley in overtime, having an opportunity to win the school's first-ever NIT championship and the first in the state of Alabama, all programs included, having an opportunity to punch that ticket tomorrow. So we'll try to dig in deeper to that game tomorrow as well on the final drive. want to thank everyone for tuning in and listening today to the final drive and thank all our guests and of course you can tune into the podcast if you missed any segment of today's show for michael bronner i'm Corey labounty we'll talk to you tomorrow on the final drive